God is so good. Thank you, James and Annie, for being with us. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from John Piper is, the mission exists because worship does not. And so praise God that there are worshipers in India because the Spirit of God is moving, and He's invited us to be part of it. And I can't agree more that we are living in the days of Acts. The Spirit of God is being poured out on all people, and we get to be part of that story. It's amazing. So we are uh, actually going to be in the Psalms this summer. My preferred uh, way of, of preaching and, and walking through the Scripture, we believe the Scriptures are inspired by God and are the authority for us to understand uh, who God is and who He's created us to be. And so I love walking through the books of the Bible exegetically. But every once in a while, it's so important for us as a church to, to step back and, and look at the, the big story of God uh, throughout the Bible. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at eight themes that are foundational for understanding the, the story of God. And we're titling this sermon series, God's Story, God's Glory. <laughs> God's Story, God's Glory. And there is no greater glory, as we just heard from Psalm 104. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about creation, God as Creator. Genesis 1.1, the very first words that God revealed to us in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that one verse tells us so much about the story. It tells us everything. It tells us the story is about God. Many times we read the Bible and we... Uh, think it's about us because we are so prone to selfishness and thinking that we're the center of it all. But if we read the Bible the way it is written, we understand it's a story about God. It's a story about God. And everything that exists, exists because of Him. You know, one of my uh, mentors, and actually he's a man who, uh, uh, Bob Neuendorp, he's the one who introduced me to A.B., who is Annie's sister back in Minnesota, uh, but he would often say the most important thing to understand about theology, the, 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 the study of God, is to know that God is a person, that God is a person. He is a relational God. He's not a person in the sense of a human being, but he is a being. He's a person who could be known, and he's revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. One God, three persons. And as a person, he could be known. He created us to be in relationship with him, in relationship with one another. We are relational beings. We are persons created in the image of God. And so this truth, this reality of who God is, and who he is as creator is the foundation for understanding the whole story of God in the Bible. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about that this morning. We will eventually in this series talk about God's purpose, his global mission, which James talked about this morning, that God's heart is for all the nations of the world. And, uh, and so in a few weeks we will be exploring that reality. You know, I, I heard a funny uh, story once about uh, a tale, not really a story, it's more of a tale, about a scientist who came uh, before God. And he said, uh, God, I'm going to give you a challenge. Um, 
I want to see who can create human, a human body quicker. And so the scientists laid down the challenge, and God said, well, let's go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's see who can create it faster. And, uh, and so the scientist was delighted that, he, uh, that God took him up on the challenge, and he began gathering dust and, and molecules and things to begin his work. And God said, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You need to bring your own dust. I created that dust. <laughs> and so we laugh about that. But the reality is, um, it's so important when we read Genesis 1, Genesis 1, we understand what God is revealing to us. And I think, you know, we've wasted uh, a lot of air, a lot of time arguing about things that, that the Bible doesn't really address or talk about. And uh, I know some of you who've been uh, in the church or Christians or believers for a long time, you know there's, a, there's always been this argument whether the earth is old or young or how God created things. And so um, we're not going to address all that this morning, but I just want to say it's so important when we read the Bible, we understand the context and we understand what God is revealing through the people that he is speaking to through, in Genesis, through Moses and to the people who are listening, the audience, the original audience. And so many times, here we are, thousands of years later, we can insert our own assumptions, our own biases, our own thoughts, our own questions into the text. And that's very dangerous. We have to take it for what it is instead of uh, trying to force something into the text. Rather, we should come humbly before what God has revealed to us. And so we have to be careful when we, uh, what we call hermeneutics, how we study, how we understand what God has revealed to us. We have to understand the original intent. What is God revealing to us? And I believe that Genesis, as God reveals himself as the creator, he's telling us something of supreme importance. Supreme importance. And we can't make lesser questions more important than the supreme thing that he is revealing to us. We, made, uh, we have made many mistakes as human beings. And one of the uh, things in history um, that we can look back at and say, what were they thinking? Uh, there was a man named Galileo who was, uh, discovered a telescope and he was peering up into the stars and the skies. And, and he began to realize, wait a minute. Um, because the prevailing thought back in that time was that everything revolved around the earth, <laughs> that the earth was the center of the universe. And he began to realize that, no, the earth was rotating around the sun. And, and this was just one star in this vast array of galaxies. And, uh, and unfortunately, in that time, the church said, no, the Bible teaches everything revolves around the earth. But wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't teach that. In fact, if you read carefully, the Bible says everything centers around God. God is the center of it all. In fact, every encounter with God is pictured of him on the throne. His glory is at the center of all things. And so it was a huge mistake or a huge bias, a huge assumption to say somehow we as human beings should be the very center of everything. No, God is the center of everything. That is what the Bible says teaches. And so we have to be careful. Uh, John Walton, who uh, uh, was one of my professors at Moody, he's a, he's a, 
a scholar on ancient manuscripts and, and, a, and, a, and an expert on, on Genesis and the Hebrew writing of Genesis 1. And he believes, as he has studied this, that the real um, emphasis of this passage is really an invitation to worship. And you see that as you read Genesis 1, the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God as he is creating, as he is making this world and he's making us. And so he says it's setting up the functions for the benefit of humanity with God dwelling in relationship with his creatures. And so God's dwelling with those that he has made. And so it's he says it's saying this is, a, this is an invitation to worship. This is a, a temple creation story. God is creating his temple. <laughs> the heavens and the earth and everything in it. I love what it says in uh, Psalm uh, 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And so throughout the Bible, you see this picture of creation being evidence of God's glory, of his worship, of his worth above all else. And so the emphasis in the Genesis account is that the glory of the Lord is the center of all things. That all existence flows from him. And it has its being because of him. I love what Habakkuk says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so the emphasis there is not on how God created, but that God created. <laughs> that he has a specific meaning and purpose for creation. So it's about meaning and purpose and function. It's answering the question, why is there existence? Why are we here? We are here because of God. God is the reason. He is the meaning. He is the purpose. He is everything. And so that is the foundational question that the Bible is answering. The Bible is speaking to that question of meaning and of why, of purpose, of function. And so the Bible does teach us very clearly, very plainly, that God Father, Son, there's so many passages, passages that speak in Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, that Jesus Christ was part of the creation of this world. That he was part of that creation. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, it says in Genesis 1. Each person of God directly involved in a literal creation of all existence. The Bible teaches that. God directly created. He commanded through his word, and he made all that exists. This is foundational for us. This is what we believe, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created all things. Second, that God is directly involved in creation, and he's directly involved in sustaining and running everything. So everything has its being, and it's held together because of God. He's not a distant God. He's not um, what the deists used to think, some watchmaker who made it and then just let it run. No, he's intimately involved in all of creation and sustaining everything. And so life has its being because God exists. This is foundational for what the Bible teaches. And thirdly, God's creation has revealed some specific purposes and functions for what he has made. 
And that's what I want to really talk about this morning is, is looking at the function of creation and how that impacts us. Uh, we don't have time to explore all the ways it impacts us, but I want to explore a few things. So if creation is ultimately God's temple, that everything exists to worship God, as Jesus said, if you don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. And there's so many passages that speak that everything that exists, whether you look up at the trees or the mountains, or you stand in a storm, or you look up at a starry night, everything that causes us to wonder and we see the glory of what we see and what we experience in creation points us to the existence of God and the glory of God and the worship of God. And so it's this great temple of God's creation that his, his existence and his infinite presence dwells in among us. And so this is one of the primary functions of creation is to reveal God's glory to reveal his greatness, to reveal his power, to reveal his infinite nature. And that's why it's so fascinating when we peer into the universe, we, we can't find an end to it. <laughs> it's endless. It goes on and on, ever expanding. And so what that reveals to us, what that shows us is that the glory of God is ever expanding. It's ever growing. It's infinite. It has no boundaries. It has no measure. The second function, purpose that we see in the Bible about creation is it reveals God's goodness. God's goodness. So not only is it about God's worship, but it's about God's goodness. In Genesis 1, it says, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. He's talking to Adam and Eve. And every tree that has its fruit, fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. <laughs> God created to bring goodness, to bring blessing. I, I'm a gardener, and I, I'm already opening my seed packets. I'm already planting things. I already tilled the soil. And, and so I'm getting so excited because I see what God has given for good for blessing, for provision. And it says in verse 31, God saw all that he made and it was very good. It was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. And so what God is revealing to us is that the purpose of creation is to reveal his goodness, to show us that he's a God of provision, a God of goodness, a God of blessing. And we see that. That's why we are not Gnostics. Gnosticism says physical things are bad. But the Bible teaches us, no, physical things are good because <laughs> it reveals who God is as creator and that he has given us good things to eat, to wear, to, to build, to live in. And he's provided so much in this creation for us. And the third thing that God reveals as far as the function and purpose, and there's, there's endless more things, but, but because of time, we can't explore all of it, but these are primary things. The third thing is, is that God created man as part of his creation to bring blessing to us as a kingdom of priests. As a kingdom of priests. You see, Adam and Eve were the supreme creation of God. He said, I made all these creatures, I made all these things that you see, but only to man. In verse uh, 27, 28, so God created mankind in his own image. <laughs> 
You can see the creativity of God when you go stand on a mountain, when you dive into the ocean with some goggles, and you see this endless array of creatures <laughs> of every kind of stripe and color and form and shape. So much amazing things, yet only men and women reflect God's own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is foundational. We live in a society and an age that's rejected. God as creator. And because of that, they say there is no meaning, there is no purpose to creation. That we're just a random uh, conjunction of atoms and molecules and cells and, and chemicals. But when we live in that philosophy and that understanding, human life has no value. But if we understand what God is saying, <laughs> if we understand what he is revealing to us, that we are created in his image, then we are created with inherent value as human beings made in the image of God. And there's meaning there's purpose. There's function. And it says in verse 28, God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God gave a purpose to our existence as priests, as kings, as people who would govern and oversee what God has created I love what Steve Addison says. He says, Eden was a garden planted by the Lord for the man and the woman to enjoy. God's goodness. The garden was the place where heaven and earth met. In this garden temple, a place of worship. That's the emphasis of Genesis. It's a place of worship coming into the presence and the glory of God. Humanity was both priest and king, walking with God, bringing his rule and obeying his word. Remember, it's God's word that sustains and creates and makes life. Adam was to work and take care of the garden. Words that later refer in the Old Testament, priests and their work in the tabernacle and the temple. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a connection between the creation story and the temple story. And then later the church story when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God at Pentecost like flames of fire in the wind. Oh, there's a connection between all of those three things. God gave humanity a part to play. They were to push out beyond the boundaries of Edom and fill the earth with his glory. The man and the woman must live by faith in God's word and obey him. And through their obedience, they would reflect his image and his glory. And God's nature would be displayed throughout all the world. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> that's, what, that's what the Bible story is revealing to us. God's purpose. What God intended in creation. I love what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, <laughs> a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And listen what that is. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were created to be worshipers, just like these new brothers and sisters in India who are now worshiping God with confidence, knowing that God is going to provide their needs because they know who they are. They are a royal priesthood, chosen by God, special to God. That's you. That's me. That's every person. God created us for that. So let's pause because we have to answer a question as we look at these three things. What is God's glory? 
Because if this whole story is about God's glory, this is essential. We have to understand what God is about. And literally it means, in Hebrew, it's weightiness. It's weightiness. It's significance. It's importance. It's power. It's honor. It's beauty. It's wonder. It's greatness. Now, glory is a word that's really hard to describe. <laughs> Very hard to describe. In fact, it's almost impossible to describe. But you know what? There's a glory desire. There's a glory hunger hardwired in all of us. We long for glory. In fact, that's what so much of human activity is about, is a pursuit for glory, whether it's in, in so many ways. And probably one of the ways that recently I thought about the way we pursue it, and remember, this is human glory, but it's a picture of God's glory. And uh, the NCAA basketball tournament was going on, and, and if you remember a few uh, weeks ago, there was a game, Gonzaga versus UCLA, and there was this moment in the game where it was tied, and everything, uh, no one knew how it was going to end, and everyone was on their seats, and, and, and that moment, there was a weightiness to that moment. There was a significance, there was an importance to it. And then at the last moment, a, a player, I think it was Suggs, was given the basket, and he made a three-pointer, and they won the game. And it was a beautiful shot. And not everyone's a basketball fan in here, but if you talk to a basketball fan, are there some basketball fans here? All right. Did you feel glory in that moment? Did you see glory in that moment? Okay, that's on a human level. So we're, we're looking for that. That's why we build huge stadiums. That's why we jump out of airplanes. That's why we, we do all this crazy stuff, because we're longing for glory. But that, that glory is a fading glory. It's just a, it's a shadow of a truer, richer, greater, more beautiful, more, more sufficient glory, which is God's glory. And so we were created for that. We long for that. We spend our money, we spend our lives looking for that. And that's what God has. And this is what Paul Tripp says, the stunning reality of this universe is there exists one who is the greatest, most beautiful, most perfect in every way. God is gloriously great, gloriously beautiful, per gloriously perfect. There is none like him. He has no rivals, no valid comparisons can be made to him. He is the great other, a category of his own beyond our ability to estimate, understand, or describe. That's glory. We long for that. We were created for that. Romans says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So this gets back to the purpose, the function of creation. It's made there. Why? being understood from his maid, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, that's fading glory, that's human glory, of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. And so the, 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 the great struggle of the story is God's glory and his worthiness of being worshipped, but we always want to substitute him for created things. So we substitute his glory for fading glories, when God's glory is so much greater, and we were created for it. All right, as we close here, I have three very practical implications. There's so many more, but I'm a pastor, and I can only think in three. <laughs> so we're only going to do three this morning, okay? All things were created, so everything we see has inherent value. Inherent value. 
You see, as, as Bible-believing followers of God, worshipers of God, we see the value of creation. We see the value of material things. We see the value of the rocks and the trees and the birds and the stars and everything that exists. We see the value of that. Second, people have inherent value. People have inherent value. God said, let, make, let us make man and woman in our likeness. Let him have dominion over all things. And so we see that God has a special place for human beings. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So never think that God made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. He created you. He knows you. You have value. You have worth. And that's what's so powerful, James, about what you shared, about those kids. They saw the value of their neighbors. Even though they were attacking and criticizing them, they saw their inherent value, and they said, these are people worthy of giving our food away to because of God, right? That's what he's talking about. I know that full well, Psalm 139 says. And number three, and this one is really powerful. I wish I had more time to talk about this. Work has inherent value. Work has inherent value. Remember what God created in the garden? Work. Now, here's something really interesting. The Hebrew word for work is the same word as worship. Interesting. Avoda. So if creation is ultimately, what the Bible is revealing to us, is ultimately a temple with God's glory at the very center of it all, created for his glory, created to reveal his goodness, created to show us our place in this world, in this creation, then work is inherent to who we are as human beings. I love what it says in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working to the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You see, this gives us a whole nother way of thinking about our work. We're not just getting a paycheck. We're not just surviving. We are worshipers. We are priests and kings of the kingdom of God, of the glory of God. And since you know that you will receive an inheritance of the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that's what that word work, worship, means. It means to serve. It means to offer, to give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so your work takes on a whole nother meaning. You're not just a teacher or a plumber, carpenter. You're just not whatever profession. You are a servant of God. And God has given you gifts, and he's given you skills. He's given you this creation to worship him in. I remember, um, I invite the worship team come up. Um, I was engaged to my wife, and uh, I was... Uh, needing to buy an, or I'm sorry, I wasn't engaged yet, but I was wanting to be engaged to her, and I needed to save up to get an engagement ring. And so I got a job in Colorado as a landscaper, and uh, um, and I remember uh, 
and, and yet God had given me a pastoral calling, and so I was serving in the church, volunteering, doing all these things, but I was working as a landscaper, and, and so many times I, I would struggle and say, God, what significance does this have that God was revealing this truth to me, that, that work was worship, and this was part of my worship, this was part of my, my, my purpose, was to point people to God's glory, and so I would always talk about Jesus and his glory, and I would point people to him, and one day this uh, guy I was working with, um, it was, had been a long day, and, and, and there was this part of the property that no one could see, and he said, you know what, let's just leave that undone. Let's just get, let's go home early. No one will see it. No one will know. And I remember, like, something rose up in me, and I was like, no, we, this is for God's glory. We're going to go, and we're going to do it the very best that we can do, and we can do this. And this guy wasn't a Christian, and he just looked at me like I was the weirdest, strangest person in the whole world. <laughs> But God was stirring in this. I mean, it wasn't just landscaping. I was, I was serving God, whether anyone saw it or not. And God was putting that in my heart. And I want to encourage you that we, we live for God's glory, and it's integral to who we are as children of God. I think it's significant that Jesus came as a son of a carpenter. You know, he didn't come as a son of a of someone important or someone we would say has incredible value, but, but God said, Joseph and Mary, you have value to me. You are part of my plan and my purpose of all of creation. And so Jesus worked with his hands. He worked with his life as an as a, as a offering to God. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come up and, and give a benediction. But let's go before the Lord and worship.